This is the Straight Dope Podcast. For a couple episodes here, I am going to back up and start to try and tackle some questions that I see on the internet, see people ask, but almost seem too easy to answer, and yet they're so easy, they're difficult. And one of the most common questions that I see asked repeatedly anywhere I look is how to get started in precision rifle shooting. It seems so easy because you just go start shooting and answers span from just start shooting to take, you know, get all this fancy stuff. And I felt like it would be a fun thing to look back and talk about my experience as well as experiences of others that I've seen and boil it down to what I think is a straight dope type of answer. Now, one thing that I'm going to do with these podcasts is write short blog posts on that could be shared and spread so that if people aren't listening to podcasts, but yet they want to read something or have a source for it, I'm going to put it on the new website's blog and I'll put a link for that in the show notes. So if you haven't seen the new site, there will be a link on the bottom of the podcast, wherever you're listening to it, and you can go in and check it out and see what you think and give me an email, chrisrway at gmail.com and tell me what you think any ideas and feedback on that. But let's look at this question about what you might need to get started in long range shooting. Now I know the answer for some of you is just you need a rifle and you just go shoot, but that's not acceptable to somebody who hasn't started because it's almost too simple. And so I'm gonna give it what I'm calling the 30,000 foot view on general equipment because I think that to be honest with somebody who's looking to start, they need more than just a rifle and a range that they can go shoot at. And so let's take a look at it in the sequence and order that I think about things and see how this episode flies. Because I think that precision rifle asks some things of rifles that you don't necessarily need at closer ranges. Inside of 25 yards, I don't think that you need certain things that you need at a distance and vice versa. I think that we want to stay focused on the rifle system. And so I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more, but let's let this go. I think that the rifle is a fundamental and essential part of precision and distance shooting. And part of that has to do with the system itself. And part of that has to do with the requirements of consistently hitting something at a distance. I think that the baseline starting point is that you need a system that's capable by itself right, in the hands of a good shooter, it has to be capable of delivering around to the distance that you're trying to shoot reliably, accurately, precisely. And some of that stuff depends on the parts that it's made up of. So let's think about the parts of a rifle that are really important. You're going to need, in no particular order, a good barrel. From what I've seen, a lot of precision and accuracy in a rifle system boils down to is the barrel quality? Is it long enough to allow the bullet to gain the pressure and the velocity required to get it to an intended target with a hit rate that's acceptable? Does the caliber, bullet weight, twist rate, and chambering allow it to do that reliably? And was it chambered by a good gunsmith um, and have all those criteria? So I think that a shooter needs to consider the rifle that they're looking at as capable 
of delivering around at the appropriate velocity and bullet weight such that there's a reliable impact hit percentage from the equipment alone, right? You could say that a 22 rimfire can hit a target at 1,000 yards, absolutely. Hell, it could, it could hit a small target at distance, but it's going to take a large number of shots to do that. And in terms of reliably doing it, uh, that's just a statistical figure, and it has to do with the target size, the distance, and the ammunition. But I don't think that we can talk about consistently hitting a target using the term target in the context of precision shooting and long-range shooting in the same way without considering the fact that a 22 rimfire is not meant to shoot things at a 1,000 yards. Just because you can doesn't mean that's what we're talking about. So make sure that it's got a good barrel. And if you don't understand what requirements of a good barrel are, like I said, I think that the length is very important because the longer the barrel, within reason, the more velocity you're going to get. And the more velocity, you've not only shortened the time of flight, but you've also given it a, you know, enough momentum that that bullet in that specific caliber is going to have a better chance of getting to the target. Uh, for those calibers, heavier bullets maintain their momentum better. And so a heavier bullet isn't going to require as much velocity because it's not going to slow down as fast as it's traveling to a target, depending on how far away it is. And so we can get into the weeds with that, but having the right length, twist rate, uh, and stability factors for that caliber that you're shooting, bullet or barrel length is going to play a big role in that. So I think that you want to have the appropriate barrel. Now for, for most center fires, you know, what I'm talking about is like 24, 22 inches to 28 inches. In that zone, you're going to have a lot more velocity and maintain the accuracy as long as it's the appropriate caliber for the distance that you're shooting. I'll get to some of that in a little bit. I think that that barrel needs to be on a good action. I'm not going to go into too much depth about the action. A lot of that is personal preference, but if that action is quality, it's um, it matches the barrel and a, and, a, and a gunsmith put it together, or it's something like an Accuracy International that you can spin on those barrels and they're ready to go. Uh, that's more of a personal preference on bolt throw angle and, 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 and then getting into the weeds for people that have been doing it long enough where those little things matter. The thing that you put that barreled action into is going to be a chassis or a stock. And I think that you need to make sure that the chassis and the stock has rigidity so that it doesn't flex and change what's happening from shot to shot. And there are a lot of chassis and stocks that don't offer the appropriate stability and rigidity to have that consistency. Now, in the past, bedding has been used to take some of those chassis and stocks and, and add more consistency and stability. But nowadays, there are a lot of chassis and stocks that are capable of not only maintaining that stability, but also absorbing the impulse energy and spreading it around. But you need to make sure that it can do that. And that chassis and stock should probably be adjustable to a certain extent so that it fits the shooter in a way that they're able to be consistent in how they address the rifle and manage it. So adjustability in a chassis and stock and the rigidity is really important. And if it's just super light or just super cheap, you're probably going to run into some issues of stability and adjustability that I think are really important. So make sure that it fits you right. You're able to do what you need without adding things or changing things. 
because that's going to be important. And how it fits you does ultimately play a big role in your ability to consistently operate that system. The trigger is very important too. And triggers that aren't consistent, triggers that don't have a good uh, learnable uh, break that's crisp and potentially adjustable in its pull weight is going to add a certain amount of um, it's going to have a certain amount of wobble and slop to it. So, so if it's too heavy, you're going to pull and you're going to potentially pull the sights or, or essentially, you know, the sights of the scope that you're using, which is ultimately where the barrel's pointing, you're going to be pulling that left and right, potentially up and down, although a lot of that comes from the shooter's body, but you're going to be moving to a very small extent where that barrel's pointing with the trigger. And so if it's not consistent and it's not clean, you're gonna add more error to the system with a trigger that doesn't have uh, that good, clean, crisp, and consistent break to it. I think that's really important. Now, a lot of barrels nowadays have threads on them or a device, um, some sort of a muzzle device. And those devices are commonly a brake or a suppressor. Both of those can help reduce recoil, but they're different, right? A brake's going to divert the gases so that the felt recoil on the shooter is reduced because some of that blast backwards is diverted to the sides. I think that's a really good way of keeping the rifle pointed on target and adding consistency, but not only consistency, but allows the shooter themselves to see more because the rifle's moving less. Suppressor does that a little bit, but not as much as a brake. What a suppressor does is channels the gas so that the sound and the decibels are lower. But I have found that different shooters respond differently to the recoil and separately the sound. And rifles are noisy. If you can lower the noise, more often than not, the shooter flinches less. They blink less so they could see more. And there are a lot of great upsides to a suppressor on the end of a barrel in terms of shooter-induced error that are hard to match with just a break. But you can train yourself to respond to both. Both raise the quality and consistency of a shooter's capability, in my mind. So both are a good idea. The suppressor takes a little bit longer to get because you have to go through background checks and you have to go through paperwork. But a good suppressor can consistently deliver more precision and accuracy, and I think that comes from the response of the shooter themselves. Having some weight on the end of the barrel sometimes increases accuracy, but I think that's getting into the discussion that leans towards tuners and what's happening when you have something that weighs something on the end of a barrel, and um, that's a little bit further down the road. But a brake or a suppressor can help. I think that a suppressor is a great way to go, but you have to clean them. You have to make sure that they're on right. You have to make sure they're not loosening up. You have to go through the paperwork and the background check. And so being able to use both is probably a great thing and getting comfortable with the ones that you have is a good idea. Optics. This is a huge rabbit hole that you can get into, but a high quality scope is going to help you hit targets better. Now it has nothing to do with the accuracy and precision of the system itself, but being able to see it and make sure that that reticle or the aiming part of the optics that you have isn't moving is a good check that you have a stable platform. And so having a high quality scope is crucial. And the quality of glass makes a difference. I think that the 
Glass and then a reticle that a shooter can understand is really important. I think that there's tons of reticles out there and some do things that others don't. But most importantly, is it a reticle that the shooter can understand? Is it a reticle that a shooter can see through because you're going to be looking at stuff? And is it easy to work with and keep you from um, creating more error because you're staring at that thing or you don't know what happened when it, when, when, when it shot? Now, a good precision long-range rifle scope typically has adjustable turrets for elevation and windage. And so you want to make sure that those elevation and windage turrets dial what you think they're dialing. Some don't, some do, um, and there's no real standard from which you can go out and say, like, does this scope dial appropriately or doesn't it dial appropriately? I think a really good way in this um, in this realm of optics, because not a lot of people are getting tons of free optics or a lot of money by using them is to look at what competitors and hunters are using in the field because a high-end competitor doesn't want to sacrifice their performance for a product that can't do what it's supposed to do. So if I was going to look at what other people are using, there's some things that I wouldn't, like just rifle builds in general. But when it comes to optics, I don't know many competitors that would compromise their ability to perform well using something that doesn't perform consistently and reliably because it's expensive to go to a match and they can only do a certain number of matches a year and their performance matters. The optics that people are using at these matches are something that they're willing to put their reputation on the line for. And I think that's a good way to say, okay, what are the best shooters using when it comes to optics? those are probably going to be the more reliable ones than the other ones. And so you tend to see certain brands being used by high-end competitors, not because they're giving them for free, but because they don't break on them and they can be reliably adjusted up, down, left, right. I like to dial both elevation and wind, and I want to know that when I dial 1.2 mils to the right or left, it's going to 1.2 mils to the right or left. And so testing that stuff is, is good. I think that there's a track record you know, within a given uh, year of production, I think quality changes from year to year for different manufacturers, but a good optic can consistently deliver those adjustments, focus on the target, and allow you to see what you need to see in the conditions that you expect to see them in. Um, other things that are really important are a bipod and a bag. You're going to need a shooting bag or a rest of some sort and a bipod to either as a kickstand or as a means of support. And so a good stable bipod that's adjustable. There's tons of them. A lot of them are really expensive. I particularly like the Thunder Beast one because it's lightweight and it does a good job of providing enough stability for me to be able to use once the tensions are appropriate. But there's plenty out there. The SkyPod is an awesome bipod. Um, one of the cool things about SkyPods is that you can get different leg extensions and they have different models that could get you, you know, three feet off the ground with a bipod and, and it does some crazy stuff, but they're also very expensive. I think that realistically, a, a, a bipod and a bag, a bag's going to allow you to put a bag on an object and rest the rifle on that object. So a bigger bag, I think, is often better. It doesn't have to be heavier. I, I really do like the Get Light Fill in a full-size wax canvas game changer. I think that those are great, and it doesn't add too much weight to your pack, but it does um, take up a certain amount of volume, so you want to consider the volume for your pack. But I think that I don't like to compromise precision and accuracy for weight. I like to make sure that precision and accuracy are maintained, and then I decide on 
you know, what are the other things that I'm going to carry for weight? But I usually don't compromise weight for precision and accuracy when I'm, when I'm thinking about or assessing equipment because, you know, we're talking about ounces and, and oftentimes there's a lot of weight in the stuff that we're not actually using when it comes down to that one shot. So I would rather carry a few more ounces or even pounds knowing that the shot that I take is going to be good and deal with weight in another arena rather than compromise it from the rifle system. Um, ammunition is really important. I think that a beginner shooter should probably get a caliber and a rifle that has available factory ammunition and the level of ammunition uh, tolerance or the level of, of uh, intolerance or whatever is going to be determined by the lot number, not necessarily the specific ammo that you're getting. But there's a lot of variability out there with ammo. And I don't think that match ammo or expensive ammo or one brand or another necessarily always beats another. So it's worthwhile getting a couple boxes of different ammo types and see what shoots well out of your rifle and then go back to the store and get enough of it so that you don't have to get different lots because there will be different lots from ammo um, lots from one to the other of the same manufacturer. So when I was beginning, I didn't really take that seriously. But now that I shoot tons and tons of factory ammunition, I like to find a lot that works good and then buy a lot of it in advance. And I'd, I'd rather spend a little more up front and know that I have ammunition that's going to do what I want it to do. And that gives me the comfort and peace of mind when I go do an application. I know the numbers and I know how it's going to perform and operate. And uh, that, that's, that's really important to me. I think that having a ballistic calculator is important because... It takes a long time to learn how to do some of this stuff on your own. And while you'll get there eventually, you can be aided by a ballistic calculator. And that ballistic calculator is going to teach you a lot of things. And it's going to allow you to get up to speed fast while you're filling in all the gaps that it doesn't quite explain. Now, taking all of it for granted is a big issue. But having a ballistic calculator is important. There's free smartphone apps that do an amazing job at calculating this. There are expensive devices that do some of this stuff for you. But either way, you're going to want to have a ballistic app and a ballistic calculator. I do think that the Gravity Ballistics worksheets are amazing. I think that they are very helpful and accurate and quick and save you a lot of time and money getting drop charts and data. But I think that either way, being able to cross-reference that with ballistic calculator information after the fact is fundamental. And getting something that's cheap isn't hard to do. There's tons of them out there, but I think it's something that somebody's going to want to get. You can't shoot distance without knowing how far away it is, right? The object that you're shooting. You're going to have to have a rangefinder, And a rangefinder. Um, not only is it important for you to know how far away it is, but a lot of times they're embedded in devices that allow you to look like, like binoculars. I like range finding binoculars. But there are other systems that allow you to get a good range. The problem with some of the handheld units that are small is the level of magnification they have or that your ability to search for targets is limited. But either way, you need to know exactly how far away something is because the trajectory has a lot to do with the time of flight. And so for you to know that you can hit an object, you need to know exactly how far away it is from you. And without that, it's just a crapshoot. So you're going to have to have a rangefinder, And then... I like to tell everybody right off the bat to start recording your data. So having something to write it down in. And I'm not saying that you need to go get a fancy range book or a data card that, that somebody had when they were in the service. I'm saying get a notebook, 
like a write in the rain field notebook or even just a notepad, but make sure that every time you go shooting, you write down the temperature, the wind conditions, the direction you're shooting, the distance that you're shooting, where your hits were, were, what were the tendencies of your misses? Like, did you always miss into the wind? Did you always miss downwind? Did you always miss high? Did you always miss low? Just starting to write down the things that you notice over time. As you grow as a shooter, you're going to start learning from those past mistakes. And it's really easy to overlook past mistakes that you could grow from for successes. And I think you can see this at a public range where there's a thousand yard target and there's dudes laying down there with piles of brass and maybe one out of every dozen shots hits the target and they forget about the other 11 shots that miss because they hit the target. And that positive feedback that you get from hearing the plate ding can cause you to forget that there's more to it than just the success. And in fact, we learn more from some of those mistakes. And so if you've got a record of those mistakes, yeah, you pat yourself on the back and get totally psyched that you got a hit because that's awesome. But you're going to be more consistent by trying to figure out what your tendencies were on the misses and trying to understand those things and explain those things that usually fall back on the shooter themselves, not their equipment. And you're going to see that by keeping a data book of the things that you're aware of so that down the road you could say, man, you know, I remember this range day that I was having all these struggles, but I didn't know about wind. And I was, you know, missing left of the target, and it was a right to left wind, and I was holding straight up on the target, and I just kept missing, kept missing, and every once in a while I would hit because, you know, and then it would turn out that, oh, the wind died, and I hit the target, and everything else got blown off the target. And then you go, oh, okay, cool, yeah, wind is a real phenomenon that I have to account for. And all of those real phenomena or things that you're doing, like, um, you know, I was really uncomfortable and my bipod was all the way down and I got scope rings that were so short that I had to scrunch down and I couldn't fit right behind my rifle. Once I got taller scope rings and I had my bipod a little bit higher and I was comfortable, my shots got more consistent, but you don't know that until you write it down and go, oh shit, that's a thing. You fix the thing and then you notice that later on there's positive results. You get that just from writing it down. And so having a little journal about what you're doing at the range is really valuable, I think, because that provides you a record to look back and go, oh, man, I didn't know about this then, but now I do, and I'm so much better. Or, God, something weird was happening this day, and I can't figure out what it was, but, but in six months, you might be able to look back and correct yourself and go, oh, man, I thought I needed a new rifle, but it turned out I didn't understand how to adjust parallax. And so now that you know how to adjust parallax, you've got the ability to perform better on days that had those particular uh, optical whatever's going on. Or, um, you know, I'm just making shit up, but, but, but there is huge upside to recording what you're doing. And I think that that is fundamental to starting a precision rifle because it's a thinking man's game, right? I say man, but I mean women too. It's a thinking person's game and those thoughts need to be recorded so that you can go back and remember the things that aren't just the positive feedback because positive feedback overwhelms the negatives. You know, you go negative, 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 positive, and then you, you know, kind of quit a winner, but you didn't grow. But if you go back and reflect like, man, how do, how do some of those misses, how do I fix those? Well, I don't know, but let's look at why you were missing. How do you know why I was missing? Well, let's look at what you wrote down. Oh, shit, I see this. And this points me in the direction of these couple things. And, and then that goes on and on and on. But to get started in shooting, I think that you 
should consider those things at a superficial level and then hit a range, take a class, find a mentor and get involved. But you're probably going to need those things to really get started and be able to have what you need to perform at a level where you're not going to just do it for a little bit and quit. And then things open up and get complicated. Now, it's a complicated topic, and everybody has opinions. I'm sure that you're screaming and yelling and fighting and want me to change what I said and talk about something else. And I'm sure that I forgot something and excluded something or overemphasized something that you don't think is important. And I think that that is the awesome part about being human is that we can grow and learn and debate and stretch and change. And you know what? If I do this podcast next year, I might have the same list and I might have a different list. But today, putting things out there and saying, this is what I would tell somebody to get started with, I would do that. And I think that without some of those elements, somebody's going to wind up a little bit shortchanged. And with more than that stuff, they might spend or focus on things that are inappropriate. But you also need to be able to do all of the requisite components. And unfortunately, that involves more than just a rifle and some random ammo off a shelf because that random ammo and that rifle might not be able to deliver the consistency and the baseline performance metrics that we need to hit small targets at distance. Now I'm gonna go into uh, fundamentals in another podcast. I'm gonna talk about calibers, I'm gonna talk about organization and stuff like that, but for this, it's just a list of what do you need to get started and not necessarily how to use those. I'll talk about how to use some of that stuff and what to do and how the shooter can look at it, think about it, behave, ask questions, and kind of become a curious bolt handler in future episodes. This is a little bit different than past episodes, but you know, mixing things up keeps things exciting, keeps things forward moving, and I think that the whole journey of the Straight Dope podcast, Riflecraft in general, and, and me, requires mixing things up, changing, trying new things, and staying curious. Because the one thing that's the key ingredient in everything that I do is that I'm curious about everything I do and really excited and motivated to continue to explore. And sometimes that means backing up and exploring things that you know feel like you've stepped over. When we do that, we're making assumptions that usually come back to get us. Reflecting on the basics tends to be a good answer for anything that anybody could do to improve. So I'm holding myself accountable by doing some of that also. Um, now I'm going to just put the brakes on this and talk about the website a little bit. The website is getting an overhaul, and right now it's hosted through Shopify. So there's a blog. There's a calendar that's going to be growing more. There's course offerings. There's coaching offerings. There's the podcast. There's, um, there's a lot of stuff, and there's going to be links to videos. Most of the videos that we've been doing are on Sniper's Hide, so you're going to want to go over to Sniper's Hide see some of the videos that we're doing, but there'll be links once they get put up on the website. But the, the website's operational now, but it's about 80%. And a lot of the clinics, the specific fundamental clinics that I'm going to be doing in person in Fort Morgan and in Erie at a private range, uh, they haven't been added to the calendar yet, but they will be coming. And they'll be starting this fall, going through the winter into the spring. The classes that are live on the calendar now are the three-day precision rifle courses at Cameo in Colorado, and they're through the kind of summer months, and there's one a month, and they're three days. They're going to be kind of full spectrum, precision rifle, 
angle mountain kind of apply to everybody. And we've got flat ranges there. We've got field ranges. We've got all sorts of cool ways to incorporate rifle craft metrics and training drills, data gathering for you, and then different scenarios like hunting, like competition, and any other outlet that you might have. So those courses we've run this year and the previous year, and they've done well, and this year we're expanding that to offer six of them at Cameo, which is awesome. You can fly into Grand Junction, you can fly into Denver, drive out there, and they're going to be Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Now, I might open up a Saturday, Sunday, two-day version to be on the same date, so some of the people come for two days, some for three days, but the two-day version I haven't pulled the trigger on. I think that the optimal course is three days because we get to train, we get to test, we get to train, we get to test, and then we have a third day that's more of a culminating exercise of this is how much you've grown. Here are data points that you can carry with you and train when you go home. So not only can you improve over the course of the event, but then you leave knowing I need to work on this stuff because there's something to be said for time on task that you can't get from a class in a couple of days. Like we can fix the things that you're doing to screw yourself up in the moment, but some shooters need to practice some skills to really narrow it down. And so not only do you get that and you get the one-on-one view on what you're actually doing as an individual, not a group kind of um, context because Riflecraft is about getting data for you and how you change your data to be better. And that might be different for you and might be different for your buddy. And we'll do similar tests, but they'll identify different training protocols. So um, I like that. That's how those courses are run. We're also doing the same type of course at Fort Morgan, but they're gonna be one day, two day, three day, five day at Fort Morgan in Colorado. And it'll be more dynamic with the schedule there as well as one-day clinics um, on paper in Erie in Colorado also. And so some of those will be weekdays. But, but anyway, keep an eye on that. Look at the site. Go check out the blogs. There's going to be four right now, but, but I'll be adding a lot of those in a short period of time just to get things there for people to read and share and, and ask questions and post about before I start changing the tone of that and expect some of these podcasts for the next little bit to cover some of those same topics because I think they're cool to talk about. And when people hear things, then I get feedback and then we can have that kind of active discussion going on the podcast. And, you know, this is kind of, you know, my journey in exploring, but also sharing what I've learned with people in a way that opens up a broader audience. And some of the broader audience, I think, still has some of those questions of how, what do I need to get started? What do I need to do? I heard I need to do this to hit this. And it's like, well, yeah, but maybe if we approach it in a different way uh you, you you'll find more satisfaction and so so mixing it up and offering different views on what people are doing is kind of what i'm good at so that's where i'm headed with this the straight dope's always been different but it's always been different in a way that people appreciate and like because it's not more of the same shit that people are always talking about and um, that's what drives me forward so because this is kind of driven by me um, you know, that's, that's what you're going to get. And I am very grateful for the support that I've had, uh, from places like mile high shooting, Utah air guns and subscribers to Riflecraft. So if you want to subscribe and support the podcast, go over to Riflecraft and get a subscription that helps drive the podcast forward and 
keep developing new ways to look at becoming successful for whatever your outlet is, I know that it works and I want you to see that it works. So till next time.